the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gestand. And I am honored and grateful to be here on this program with you. This Monday edition of Lifeline, we have officially moved into the month of February, February 5th, 2018, and it happens to be 5.05 on this Monday evening. Great, great, great day. Just a fabulous day on so many levels. And the first thing that I want to say to you as we begin to press into conversation and dialogue and reflection and meditation and all those good things is that you and I need to count our blessings. Count your blessings. Thank God for who he is and who he has been for you and what he is for you and all the blessings you have in your life. Please, my brothers and sisters, count your blessings. Yep. It's good to be with you, Jesse Gistan, on this glorious, glorious, glorious. And I really do mean it. I'm happy. I'm happy for a lot of reasons. Mostly it's because I'm in Christ and uh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And uh, I delight in the reality of God in his son, Jesus, and by the immediacy of the work of the Spirit of God in my life. Just happy every day. Every day I get up and I'm thankful for what I have, particularly in the context of counting blessings. We have a little um, little phrase, little statement phrase on our toilet in the bathroom, not to be so personal, but uh, my wife put one of those little whatnots with, you know, uh, quip sayings on it on the toilet and uh you maybe you can extrapolate <laughs> a principle there on your own in another direction but um whenever um i go into the bathroom and look at it it always reminds me because it says count your blessings plural blessings plural now i say that because when you really look back at all of your mistakes um Virtually all of them, <clears throat> our mistakes are really rooted in a number of faults on our part. And largely, it's because before we engaged in that mistake, that, that, that error, that fault, that, that mishap, that sin, if it was to that degree, it's because we really didn't assess at the moment, at that time, what we had, what we possessed, what was positively and, and, and legitimately and verifiably in our lives as a good from God. Every time we make a mistake, it largely is because we are not thankful and we are not conscious of the blessings, cautious and conscious of the blessings of God in our life. I want you to think about that. Look back at the recent mistakes that you have made and think through why it is that you made that mistake. It's largely because you neglect it to really see the concrete, verifiable, factual blessings in your life, and you didn't give God thanks for it. Now, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, and if you're just a Bible 
Bible-believing person or a Bible person and aware of doctrine, you'll know this is exactly what God said to Israel uh, all through her journey, that you are not to forget the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and led you all the way into the promised land. And God would delineate specifically in detail all the things that he did for Israel, and yet Israel did what? forgot the Lord, was not thankful, and and also, according to Leviticus 26, was not joyful. Now, let's ask the question, since we are working on the theme of honor this year, for those of you who are following Pastor Jesse at Grace Bible Church in Hayward, in terms of our New Year's theme, 1 Peter 2.17, honor all men, love the brethren, fear uh, fear God, and honor the king, uh, a, a gospel ethic for the life of the believer in a crazy, crazy world. God is calling us to be honorable people because he has honored us. Isn't it true that whenever we get in trouble, it was a lapse of honor somewhere, somehow, in some form or fashion. We lacked honorable principles and honorable thinking and honorable conduct and, and honorable speech. And, uh, and we found ourselves in the takeaway principle. You guys know what I mean by that. Um, take heed how you hear, for with what measure you hear, it will also be measured unto you. For him that hath, more shall be given, but to him that hath not, even that which he thinks he has, will be taken away. And so God, in the person of Christ, warns us in Luke chapter 8 and Matthew 13 and in the gospel of Mark chapter 4 that we are to take heed how we hear because hearing is a blessing. And and if we hear responsibly, we can keep ourselves in the center of God's will and therefore in the center of God's blessings. <clears throat> And you can wake up daily rejoicing and you can wake up thanking God for another day and you can wake up thanking God for your family and your friends and your brothers and sisters and the saints of God and the gospel and the ministry of the gospel and church and all those things that God puts in your life to help you stabilize your walk and mature in Christ. But when we don't, we find ourselves losing all those benefits. Next thing you know, you're isolated. Not insulated, isolated. And I'm going to give you an example, just one example of what I think is a major faux pas, uh, a real fault on his part. He shouldn't have done it. He did it, but he shouldn't have done it. Yesterday, worship was phenomenal. Just wonderful. Just wonderful. The saints were happy. The saints were holy. The saints were worshipful. They were impactfully led to thank God for our series in the book of Esther and where we were yesterday dealing with the honor of servants. We disbanded after a wonderful um, special singing presentation and the observance of the Lord's table. Uh, and then we do what a lot of you, if you've ever visited us, visited us at Grace, do. We have lunch on first Sunday uh, so we can stay around and actually fellowship and get to know one another and catch up, et cetera, et cetera. It's a joyful time for us. Strategically, God has used that for the last 20 years to bless us enormously. So we try to keep up what traditions really do bless us. And um, so as we disbanded church, I, I, I tickledly said to the congregation, just kind of in fun, I know you guys aren't in, in any hurry to go anywhere. There's no special events happening, no particular activities going on for which, for which you want to absence yourself from church or absence yourself from fellowship after church. They all laughed because, you know, well, quite quite frankly, there probably were out of several hundreds of people that that attend Grace. Um, there were probably some people who couldn't help but rush out and go uh, to watch 
the NFL football championship. Um, and then others, I, I kind of noticed, you know, around they did stay. A lot of people stayed because we love our fellowship. A lot of people stayed and we fellowshiped for about two hours. Um, one o'clock ends the service about one, about two thirty, two forty five. After a good meal, people kind of really disappeared. And generally what we do on first Sunday is kind of hang out till about three, four or five, depending on counsel and dialogue and all that we do. It's called the Fellowship of the Saints as in uh, fifth a quarter blessing for worship, but everybody got on their camel and rode and went to their different places of abode, et cetera. And I, I was looking forward to going home and just entering into my man cave and just kicking my feet up and being happy. Maybe have some steak or some uh, chicken, you know, uh, whatever, and sit back and enjoy the game. I was so glad that it, they said it came on at um, around three o'clock. I think that's what time it came on. So I, I got home Right when the game started. I, and I didn't even rush to get home. I got home right when the game started. And uh, my wife said, we are headed to our son-in-law's house and our daughter's house out in uh, Antioch. And it was a great, we had a phenomenal time. Just a great time, about 10, 12, 15 people and a ton of kids. That's the nature of uh, our families are, which is wonderful, too. Got to play with my grannies. Uh, and the game from beginning to end, I know y'all know this, the game from beginning to end was absolutely thrilling, 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 thrilling. Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't really care about who won. Uh, not that I'm not that disinterested in football. I just didn't care because I enjoy underdogs. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles were the underdogs. And I also enjoy the discipline of structured, mature veteran teams. And that is what accurately describes the Patriots, the New England Patriots. And I did want the controversial, honorable uh, quarterback for the New England Patriots to really actually um, have the blessing of of one more time uh, winning uh, a championship because everybody talking about how old he is and no more qualified. Well, um, he lost and the Philadelphia Eagles won. And what you generally do when you lose is you go over to the other quarterback who was the captain of the opposing team and you shake his hand and you let him know good game and you deserved it. The referees didn't cause the game to be lost. The game was a great game up to the last moment and and everybody that played did great. And so no one is to be ashamed or to, to lose heart. But what does the quarterback for the Patriots do? He runs into the locker room like a like a little a novice freshman quarterback. And I couldn't believe it because I had already started playing with my grannies after the game. And, and I didn't know that, had no idea. And I just found this out today. And I said, no, 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 that's not possible. And come to discover it was possible. How do you have the kind of uh, career the absolute kind of career that the quarterback for the Patriots have uh, over against this young new quarterback for new uh, for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Just new. You guys know the names. Uh, you just knew he got a long journey to go. He'll he may never, ever reach the status of the quarterback for the Patriots. And yet the quarterback for the Patriots acts like a child, a novice. What is that all about? It was a dishonorable act. Would you agree? Would you agree a dishonorable act on his part? He should have just held it in. 
and pressed it on through and just been the more mature party and and demonstrate how honor really is a prevailing and wonderful principle, even when you are uh, in a situation where um, you have to recognize that it did not it did not work for you. It was not something that that this time around it didn't work. This time around, it didn't work, and so you just say the best man won, and you keep going. And that what that does is it establishes unity for the whole game. It, it respects more than just your feelings. It respects more than just your feelings. And so um, I can tell you the quarterback for the New England uh, Patriots will experience a loss, won't he? He will experience a kind of setback, a kind of um, – uh, 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 deficit. We call it a takeaway, a takeaway period. He'll experience that. And that's a good lesson because he is phenomenally blessed. And I'm doing a bunch of other stuff while talking to you. He is phenomenally blessed. And there is no way that he should have let that moment slip and not have been honorable um, to uh, to his opponent. Well, there you go. That's your uh, combined football synopsis analysis and a fundamental principle by which we should all operate in terms of, yeah, yeah, be honorable. Um, you know, just just be honorable people and uh, and do do the right thing and enjoy the blessings of not having to regret what you did, because uh, that's exactly what happened to. Uh, the quarterback for the New England Patriots. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that I'm looking forward to chatting with you about, some serious and some more theologically um, challenging but uh, and stimulating, rather, uh, worthy of our discourse. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. We're thankful for great weather, aren't we? Phenomenally great weather. We're thankful for... Um, health. And if you're in a healthy position, a lot of people aren't for whom we are praying and, and trusting that they will get well. Um, we're thankful for family and friends and, and, and healthy fellowship, sound gospel preaching and teaching. That's what we're thankful for. And so I, I pray that, uh, I pray that that's the case for you. And on this Monday edition, if you have something you want to talk about, press into, bring to the table that's worthy of, uh, of, of, of being part of the forum today. Um, you you may just do that. The number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Again, happy to be in the house with you. Just contemplating God's goodness and uh, His call on our life, all of our lives. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Answering all of your questions on this Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host and friend and advisor, Jesse Gistin. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan. And we're back. The time is 522 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. If you wanted to call in and chime in on what we were talking about, just the whole notion of uh, what the quarterback for the Patriots did as being honorable or not, I'd be glad to hear what your thoughts are. Do you Are you such a uh, football um a fan, aficionado, uh, an individual who just loves the sport so much and you're so down with your team <laughs> that, yeah, that's right, our quarterback should not even shake the hand of that fool. I I, I trust 
<laughs> I trust that you're not that way. I just trust that that's not that's not who you are at all, particularly as believers. Do you understand how important that tradition is, right? Um, the quarterback at the end of every game shaking the hand of the other quarterback, the coach at the end of the game shaking the hand of the other coach. All of that plays into the whole concept of honor. Uh, and discipline and character, really. It really does. And so that's why I, I, I say that um, this is going to be a problem for the quarterback for the Patriots and maybe even the Patriots, period, if, in fact, the coach of the, the quarterback for the Patriots does not actually stand up and do some explaining. Now, maybe he did. I, I didn't I didn't really track on it afterwards. Maybe he did, but maybe he didn't as well. If he left it alone, that's going to be a precedent. Um, that's going to be a problem. I'm sure you guys understand that. That's going to be a precedent. That's going to be a problem for uh, for the New England Patriots. And we hope that that doesn't turn into um, like a pattern for the rest of the league. I'm sure it won't. I'm sure it won't. Um, so, um I would say if you want to, you can call in about it. Beyond that, and I'm still trying to work to get some things together, almost there. Uh, Beyond that, I was thinking about a particular subject matter, and that is a word I was reading earlier today that um, that really blessed me, and it had to do with um, discipleship. And um, and and the discipleship of the believer in relationship to the end of time. It's a really a really what I think apropos word. So I'm going to lay this out here in a moment to um, to share with you. And I want you to think about this because all believers are called. There we go. All believers are called to discipleship. I'm sure you know that. And sometimes we can get these terms going that don't really have. Uh, real explicit meaning. But let me just kind of share with you what we mean by discipleship, and maybe this will kind of wet your whistle as we prepare to discourse. Um, this is by a particular pastor and blogger. His name is uh, Trevor Wax, and uh, you can check him out if you want to. I don't care. His article is good. Why the words eschatological and discipleship should go together. Here's what he says. Have you heard the phrase, they're so heavenly minded They're no earthly good. Of course you have. We've all heard it. He says it usually is a slur against Christians whose heads are in the clouds all the time, too focused on heavenly matters to be of any help for the practical side of life. Now, we know that there are people just like that. We do know that there are uh, people who, for some reason or another, um, just does not really understand how to balance life with theology. And they get a little weird. You guys know that. They get a little weird. He says, uh, the idea is that if you spend too much time looking for, looking to the future, you'll miss out on making a real difference in the present. Do you believe that? If you spend too much time Looking to the future, you'll miss out on making a real difference in the present. Here's his response. The biggest problem with that popular saying is that it's completely off base, both scripturally and historically. Then he quotes uh, C.S. Lewis on this matter. And Lewis does uh, recall church history and says, if you read history, you will find that Christians who did most for the present world were those who thought most of the next world. So I want to repeat that and see if we can justify that concept. Christians who did most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. 
It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world, says Trevor, that they have become so ineffective in this one. So before I go on, I want to parse that proposition to make sure you don't think that what C.S. Lewis is saying is this. When you see people doing good in this world, it means they have a healthy eschatological view of things to come. That's not necessarily true at all. It's one of the areas in which we worry about and warn about a social gospel is the notion that everything down here depends upon us to get done now or fixed or improved or redeemed if we're going to really do Christianity correct. And we would say that's an absolutely false premise that it has no real basis in the word of God, in the mandate of Christ or in the model of Christ. Christ did not fix hardly anything of any substantial nature down here on earth when he did ministry. He didn't fix politics. He didn't even fix religion while he was here. He didn't fix people's circumstances so much so that uh, he he had a a food line going on and a, uh, a healing line going on and a business line going on. All that Christ did really circumscribed his great objective, and that is to center people on himself as their redeemer. And that model was transferred to the apostles as well. So obviously, for those of you who are listening, you know what we're about to do as we talk about eschatology and discipleship being a tandem concept that fundamentally says vital, vigorous biblical discipleship. This is just me talking right now Uh, because I'm going to take a break in a moment. And when I come back, I'll actually pick up on this to continue encouraging you as to why you should be more uh, more uh, thoughtful about um, about what it means to be a Christian as well. Vital biblical uh, theological uh, discipleship will always be fueled by a rich, robust hunger for the return of Christ and for your gathering together before him. Vital, biblical, rich, uh, rich, 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 uh, robust uh, discipleship will always be predicated upon a clear, committed conviction about standing before God and standing before Christ. On that last day or when he calls you because you and I could die any time. And, and, and the moment we die, we are standing before him. And so what should motivate our uh, understanding of the gospel and what should motivate our desire for men to hear the gospel in a saving way? And which, what should motivate us then for um, biblical, uh, theologically sound, Christocentric discipleship? It should be that we understand that discipleship is really about a being taught of God, who Christ is, as John six forty five, um, they shall all be taught of God. Everyone, therefore, that hath heard of the Father and hath learned um, of me, he will come to me. Jesus says, and so biblical teaching that is Christ centered and Spirit aided always brings the disciple into a greater knowledge of Christ. And in fact, discipleship simply means to be a serious learner of Jesus Christ at the transformation level. Discipleship simply means that you are a real Christian and you're not one of those emotional Christians that is kind of walking around with your hands in the air in front of you because you're afraid of what you're going to bump into because you're detached from the Bible. Real discipleship is a commitment to biblical truth at the level of 
uh, you being able to hear from the spirit of God as the word of God is taught who Christ is and what he did and why he did it and those things that he left as fundamental commandments for us. And so we read in the uh, Great Commission narrative by Christ going into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel. Make disciples, not disciples of yourselves, make disciples of Christ by doing what? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And so what the gospel is all about is calling men and women to bow the knee before Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and then also taking up what Christ has taught as their Lord and walking in those things. And in order to take them up, you must be taught them. In order to be taught them, you know, you must become a learner. Mathetates is the Greek term, and that's what happens. You become a learner of Christ. And then in turn, you teach others about Christ, about Christ, Jesus, the Christ. You teach others about Jesus, the Christ, and uh, you teach them in such a way uh, in cooperation with the work of the spirit that people become Christians. That's what the local church is about. It is a disciple making institution by which people become more like Christ, who is residing in them by his spirit and effectually by the teaching of God's word. But what Trevor is arguing is that where you don't have a connection between the return of Christ and a clear biblical framework of eschatology, your discipleship is going to suffer radically. That's why you have all kinds of weird forms of, of Christian expression today that really, if you test it against the word of God, often it's not Christianity. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of that. I've got three lines open, one 367 one before I let you go, just on this thought of um, the return of Christ and the things that will uh, transpire between now and the return of Christ is something that is to be understood as being the privileged challenge of every Christian since the first coming of Christ. In other words, biblical eschatology started when Christ came. God in sundry times and in different manners spoke to the fathers by the prophet. But in these last days, that's the eschaton. In these last days, he has spoken unto us in his son, Jesus Christ, whom he has made heir of the worlds by whom the worlds were made and are upheld. Uh, and this Lord Jesus Christ is from the days of his incarnation, death, burial, resurrection and ascension has ushered in the last days. So we really do want to consider what eschatology means from the first century up to where we are now. That'll help us. So what Trevor does is contextualizes that large thought and say, how do believers live in light of the return of Christ if Christ does not factually come for another 2,000 years? Where they live in light of the return of Christ eschatologically, contextually. That is in the context of the culture in which you and I live. Now think about that while I take a break. Think about this crazy world that you and I are in. Think about it for a moment, child of God, and think about the Lord will return and he will call those to himself and there will be either the approval of your um, authentic Christianity evidenced by a robust commitment to him or the disapproval of your farce Christianity evidenced by a distorted, twisted, non-biblical mode of Christianity that has nothing to do with the passions and desires of Christ to see men and women come to a saving knowledge of Christ. You guys understand that now. How how does that expectation 
guide my conduct in this crazy 21st century generation in which I live. I think about that every day. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we're back. The time, 539 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. <clears throat> Three lines open if you want to call. one 367 Three lines open uh, if you want to call. one 367 5329 Let me finish this last thought before I do go to the phone lines. Um, what Trevor states is that when we see discipleship as something ahistorical, Uh, something that never changes no matter what the context, time, or period. We tend to adopt personal practices of piety, but fail to train ourselves to become good missionaries by seeing and embracing our role in a particular context. I'm going to say that again because this is just one distraction that we can fall into as Christians when we don't contextualize eschatology uh, appropriately. Now, Again, we have already stated that biblical discipleship is learning of Christ, learning from Christ, learning about Christ and learning in a way by which Christ is Lord. And we are the student and we are to take on the whole uh, personality of the Lord as the spirit of God transforms our mind, renews our mind and transforms our lives. I think you would agree with that. Otherwise, it's not really uh, biblical Christianity. Uh, And this is the reason why people default into all kind of other crazy things is because it's not a real vital Christianity taking place that looks like New Testament Christianity. But what Trevor was saying is when you consider each generation subsequent to the time of our Lord up to even now where you and I are challenged with so many things. Man, I could just go down the list, hope to talk to you about a few that are disconcerting right now. Uh, in terms of, of wondering how we're going to address it. But he says, when we have an ahistorical, non-historical kind of discipleship, then what we do is kind of patch on to ourselves uh, uh, false practices of piety, um, of forms of godliness that really don't have anything to do with the gospel just forms of godliness, we start to create our own view of Jesus. That's kind of a new age Jesus, a kind of my kind of Jesus. This is who I think Jesus is. And let me conform myself to that. Now, you know what that is biblically, right? You know that that is idolatry. So I've said it before, biblical faith takes on a form and shape because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It takes on a form and shape that looks like New Testament Christianity. Now, this is what's so genius about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the book of Acts and the epistles. God allowed the Lord Jesus and those men whom he had raised up to be authorities over the church in terms of the inspiration of scripture and teaching us to extract from the culture of that day, the Roman empire, uh, middle Eastern, uh, uh, um, um, ideas, uh, Palestinian ideas, and some, uh, some, some Aramaic ideas, the Semitic cultures around that time, he, he God allowed them to extract from those cultures practices that we would have to challenge and oppose or affirm or, uh, be conciliatory towards and order to accomplish the real mission. And that is this to be missionaries to them. So now think about this, the driving force that would lead you and I to be really good Christians and to be good Christians really is to be missional 
to be good disciples. Would you agree with that? Give me a call if you agree with that. To be really good disciples is to be missional. A missional Christian is a Christian who gets it. To be a really good disciple is to be missional. Would you agree with that? A really good Christian understands that they are not taking on Jesus to navel gaze and to kind of just hang out and and, and be a feel-good flower or scent or some essential oil in the presence of people, but rather to be salt and light. Is is that true? one 367 5329 1-888-367-5329. And here's the point at which I, the reason for which I'm, I'm, I'm tapping into Trevor Wax's article is because if if you don't understand the radical Christocentricity of the gospel and it looking like the man who the moment that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he had the spirit of God without measure, Matthew chapter three, what did he do? He went about doing the will of his father. What was that largely about? Calling men and women to repentance and faith in him so that their life with God would be one of acceptance and approval and of grace and of of joy and of difficulty and challenge, but a promise of eternal life. If that's true, uh, affirm that and then think it through. Am I in a position right now as a Christian where my discipleship is robust? I mean, robust. I mean, really robust. I mean, are you waking up daily? With Jesus on your mind, with the word of God on your mind and and ready to show men and women the person and work of Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus of Nazareth, the one of whom God says there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. But the name Jesus of Nazareth, for God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And and are you and I growing in doctrine, sound enough doctrine that what it is, is it motivating us to take on his ethic and then get about his mandate? Because without that being the impact of faith in your life, you got distracted by some other doctrine. You got distracted by some other teaching. You got distracted by other issues. And and you are not conforming to Christ. I think you know that, don't you? Two lines open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Two lines open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Now, I'm gonna say this. I am going to be doing a a, a men's breakfast next month, March twenty fourth at Progressive Baptist Church. Uh, and, and we're going to be dealing with this subject, discipleship, in the context of intergenerational uh, relationships between the older and the younger. And what I'm going to teach is that that only happens in the context of discipleship. Now, I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I'm going to expand more fully on this because I do really want you to get it. Pastors, elders, Christians, Discipleship really is about moving into a place where we are taught of God at the level of it moving out into the world contextually and seeing men and women come to Christ. I know that's simple, but you know it's not. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right. The time is 552 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I was thinking about Peter and his words around this very topic. You first of all know that in 1 Peter chapter 315, he plainly lays out to us that we are to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and then to be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh us 
um, of the reason of the hope that is within us with meekness and fear. You guys know that is that is to be prepared to answer. And then he says, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evil doers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you of your lifestyle in Christ. And then he encourages the believer to press into suffering for Christ's sake. And you guys know that you can't reign with him if you don't first what? Suffer with him. But you won't suffer for him or with him if you don't preach the gospel, because it only comes through the preaching of the gospel, not dumb stuff. And then he says this in verse 17 through 19, which affirms Trevor's notion that we must combine discipleship with um, eschatology. He says, for... The time is come, not is coming, the time has come, that judgment must begin at the house of God. And at first at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God be? Notice he says the end of them, that's eschaton. Judgment with us, trials with us, purging with us. And then the end of them when God comes. He says that we are to be concerned about what will happen to them when God comes. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their soul to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. I think what Peter is is stating is that if we are committed to discipleship, we're going to know that we're going to what? Suffer. But in our commitment to discipleship, we are rendering to the world the one answer of escape from them facing the judgment and perishing under the wrath of God, which means there's a kind of love that we have for human beings that uh, does not allow us to sit around and navel gaze or get caught up into superficial acts of piety or get wrapped up into what Trevor said was kind of sitting around speculating on eschatological paradigms, which does nothing for the souls of men and women who are perishing every day at the level of almost 400,000 people. Let me see. All right, let me clear these phone lines out before this hour is up. Let me go to line number one and talk with Deborah. Deborah, how can I help you? What's your question, comment, or observation? Hello. Hello. Jesse? Yes. Uh, I think that if God calls you to be a Christian, you should do everything you can to emulate Christ's example in every area of your life. Um, Not for the sake of other people, but for his sake. Mm -hmm. Because if you truly love God, then you want to be like Christ. And I think that the Spirit of God can show you individually how that plays out in your life. Mm. You truly imitate Christ. Mm -hmm. I agree. And how would that work? I agree with that. How would that work relative to the idea of Christ's return um, as a um, strengthening, stimulating factor, knowing this, that you can see a person today and then they, they'll be gone tomorrow. They'll be gone tomorrow or the next day. How should that? Um, they truly love Christ. You know, you're not, you're not, you're not wishy-washy. You stay the course. Right. But I mean, okay, I got that. But I mean, a person comes into our presence. We know they're eternity bound souls. We hope that they get to live on God's earth, you know, long time, prosperous and all that. We should wish um, all good men uh, health and prosperity. Um, But we also know. And I and I'm I'm thinking through the article because you know it's nice and challenging. Health and prosperity. I'm talking about character. No, I'm talking about. What I'm, well, that's the same thing. Biblically, health and prosperity for us is about character. Um, and what I'm saying is, 
should I be in, compelled to want to um, influence them to Christ simply because I know there's an end to their life coming? Um, yeah, but that's on short term. Long term is you live for Christ regardless. Regardless of what? Regardless of whether it's going to be long term or short term. Um, you want to be like him, so you, it does. the time element doesn't matter. So what happens with people who get tired and start drifting and headed down crazy paths of just well, kind of... They have to repent and they have to come back to their first love. For what reason? Because of their love for God and but, his but, doctrine. But they don't have it. They didn't already... Remember what Jesus says? You left your first love. Yeah, but you can repent and, and do the first works again and then uh, start again. And what happens if you don't? Well... You're lost forever than if you don't really love God. Right. And shouldn't that be a motivating factor as well, that they should uh, really check themselves to see what their world values are as to living and breathing with God's air and not actually loving him for not only who he is, but for what he does for us in Christ? Wouldn't we want to make sure that men understand that, hey, you, you may stop breathing? Yeah. <laughs> Right, that's uh, Jesse, will you will you take some time sometime and talk to me privately? Sure, I'll do that. But you know, we I can't really talk about want, that. I really need it because I had no help today at all. They were supposed to send somebody over, and they never did. They never did. Well, you know, Deb, we're helping you with that. So, and you can't yeah. talk about that on the phone. Yeah, I know, that's not, but I'm that's I'm just saying that I just want to give you an update. Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right. Well, Jesse, I love you and, uh, your, and the body of Christ then, and, and your congregation, and you have some wonderful, wonderful brothers and sisters, and so do I. And they love you, too. Blessings. Thank you. Let me uh, talk to Joel on line number two. Brother Joel, what's going on? Pastor, uh, great uh, great subject tonight. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I think that we, we all need to be as much like Christ as we should, and I just wanted to give a couple testimonies, if I could, Pastor. Sure, but I need to ask you a question first. Okay. Did you check out the game yesterday? I did. I did. Check now, out the all game. right. I mean, I know you go to Grace. Now, we're not, we're not, we're not excommunicating people depending on what team they voted for. But uh. <laughs> you, you know what? That came up yesterday. We had a conference call for our ministry uh, last night, and uh, uh, one of my brothers was telling me that. That, you know, if I'm watching the game while I'm on the conference call, I'm in trouble. And I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm not in trouble because I'm, I'm, I'm here with the Lord and my brothers and sisters, and we're taking care of his business. But, you know, the game's on with no sound, so I'm not, I'm not doing anything wrong. Not at all. And, and you can, I'm going to give you a short version to that the next time you hear a false, pious statement like that rendered, okay? Yeah. Here's the short statement. You ready? Ready. No, 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 I'm not in trouble. I'm in Christ. Praise the Lord. I'm, I'm going to hang on to that one. I'm going to hang on. Thank you for that, Pastor. <laughs> I want to share this. I want to share this testimony, though. Uh-huh. We, have, uh, we have a ministry that the Lord has uh, put us to work on uh, to be disciples for him. And uh, it's a, called Prayer Suicide Prevention Line. We're on Google. Proud and, of it, brother. Uh, Proud of it. Yes, yes. No, we're, we're, we're praising the Do Lord. You, oh, yeah. So you know, you know we got a call from Sister Daisy last week. Yes. Oh, you did? Yes. Oh, I am yes. telling you. I'm not telling you nothing. Go, yeah, go ahead on there. Okay. I talked to her. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So here's what's going on. I had a call a couple nights ago from a sister in, in uh, 
Southern California, a young sister, 24 years old, and she called to tell me that she graduated. Awesome. Graduated from college. And this is a young sister. I mean, I'm trying not to get emotional. I know, but get get emotional, brother. Come on now. Look look now. The Lord pulled this girl out of the hands. Out of the the horrible pit. The enemy was trying to say that you can't do it. That's right. You can't go another day. That's right. But the Lord stepped in because he is mighty and he is awesome. And, and through helping us with his Holy Spirit to, to talk to this young woman and teach her about him and the Word, and she called us for Bible study and just continued to uh, run into little roadblocks and, and little storms, and she just kept checking in. And we have, like I said, a team of people that I know. That, that, that call our yes, people sir. back. And, yes, you know, that's just one testimony. Now yeah. i got one more. Yeah. Let's get one more. And I'm happy. Line, I want I'm, everybody else to get a chance. I'm, I'm happy. Go ahead on. We, we, have, we have this one sister came called us, uh, it was about a couple months ago, and she said, well, I've got some kind of spirit in my house, mm-hmm. and that spirit is tormenting me. And mm-hmm. she, she's a safe sister. She's a... She's in her she's in her sixties, uh, but Got it. she was she was dealing with some stuff. Yeah, and uh, she called our ministry, and then when we uh, got together with her, me uh, and one of my brothers, we got together, and we were about to pray for her. She says to me, she said, "Brother Joe, why why is there two of you guys? Why couldn't just Brother Jesse uh, uh, pray on his own and 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 help and you know help me?" Yeah, and I said because we're we're in the Lord's army, sister, and That's we're right. here. That's right, and we're 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 ready to we're ready to fight for you. That's right. And help you, and the Lord's going to do it. We're not taking any credit. That's but right. We're here, and we're we're a battalion, and it's me and him tonight. And the Lord, the Lord's going to take care of you. And praise the Lord, she sent us a text out three days later, and she said she's sleeping fine, delivered. There's delivered. Nothing is bothering her, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and she understands now why there was two of us because you know we, the Lord sent us that way. Well, that's the way he sends us. Uh, that's that's actually what I was talking about tonight in terms of conformity to Christ, right? Conformity to Christ and biblical faith looks like the gospel. It looks like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in Acts, doesn't it? Amen. It just looks that way when we actually take him seriously. Now, my guys know that. I'm actually talking to my guy now, but I mean, my guys know that in general, that when we do work, we do work minimally with two. Uh, you know, certainly you could do it by yourself if you had to, but minimally. Minimally with two, just because of the fundamental principle of it and the strength of it, thereby out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. When our hearts are right, our motives is right, are right, and it's God's assignment for us, <clears throat> we do it. I won't generally go out on an assignment, uh, Joel, on my own unless I know that I have no one else to go, and then I'll go, not worried about it, um, but I just like to do it as a principle uh, in twos as well, because that's just the model that God sets up, just in case you get in to, there are other really prudent reasons for which we would do it in twos, one uh, bearing record of the other, uh, one watching out when one is preaching or teaching, when one is praying. If you're praying, I'm watching. If I'm praying, you're watching. Uh, and then we can also make sure that false allegations don't rise up uh, among us when we're out together. You you understand all these principles. We talk about them frequently in our in our N1 uh, evangelism ministry, but that's just the way that it's done. And so, yeah. Yeah, soldier, soldier, 
The yeah. Lord bless you. And then I'm trusting that we will have more uh, people who understand the blessing of just using their phone to help someone in distress. Would you please give me the uh, the the contact information one more time? Maybe we can get another uh, set of brothers and sisters on uh, a suicide watch and uh, and help watch uh, before I let you go. Yes, uh, brothers and sisters out there, the Lord can use your help. And the website is called Prayer and Suicide Prevention Line, and the phone number is one eight six six to jesus And we are on Google, and the Lord can use you. All you got to do is have a phone and answer the phone or as an operator, or you can just give us a couple hours uh, a week on calling people back and just checking in to see how they're doing. We yeah. we, we definitely huge. need more it's soldiers, huge. and there's... there's uh, we need help. And they're the coming. Lord needs your help. They're coming. They're, the they're, they're coming. You know that they're coming. Um, that's one of the reasons why the topic I, I always think about what I'm going to talk about. I have three or four topics in front of me, maybe even more, and I'll pull one out at the last minute. And this one is so apropos. It's so apropos because it really is speaking to your responding to the grace of God in Christ uh, in your life, Joel. Uh, you know, and, and I know you know you've been under my ministry for a while, and you're a quiet soldier. Not a whole lot of people hear about you at the church and that really is the way Christianity is to work. You know I teach that don't be talking, get about the business uh, and, and and it's an honor to have you laboring uh, in the kingdom uh, with us at Grace and, um, and and may God continue to build his kingdom through through the ministry. Thank you so much Pastor. I, I do want to mention that uh, I told my conference uh, prayer warriors uh, a couple prayer uh, calls ago that uh, it is because of uh, Pastor Jesse and how he teaches the word that it, the Lord just cut right through me with your teaching, and and people need to know that because yeah. you know what a lot yeah. of people want to feel good when they go to church. No, you need to get cut. Yep. You need to be cut yep. open yep. and let the Lord do some surgery and let a, a, mm-hmm. a good teacher of the mm-hmm. word mm-hmm. get you straightened out because mm-hmm. that's what it's all about. You you're you're not here to just walk through life, and and if you really love the Lord, He's ready to use you. Yep, just like that. Blessings, brother. Hey, I got to take a break. When I come back, I'll catch the rest of y'all. I do have um, one line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.